Hi everyone, tonight we're talking about episode 218, Confessions and Lamentations. It is an episode focused around a deadly infectious plague. Uh, we recognize that with the current COVID-19 pandemic, that might not be something that some people are willing to listen to. That's alright. Uh, if you don't want to listen to that, or you think it might be something that upsets you, I'd probably recommend you join us next time for our episode on Divided Loyalties, which is episode 19 of season 2. Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I'm your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, at what part of the Minbari food ritual of flarn preparation did you doze off? Uh, I think I dozed off about five minutes before the end. I almost got through the whole thing. Based on every yoga class I've ever been in, I fell asleep 0.5 seconds after the meditation started the very first time. (laughs) Uh, True story. Uh, The first time I went to a uh, Zen Buddhist class, a Zen Buddhist meditation in San Francisco, I was very excited and went into the temple and sat down. And this was at like a very prestigious Zen center in San Francisco in like 2006 sat down and the guy next to me ripped an enormous fart as he was sitting down to like assume position in this dead silent room. And I sat there and had to like choke back both the smell of this motherfucker's fart and my own raging laughter. Uh, And uh, it was really only my uh, drug habit that kept me like controlled at all because I was like stoned at the time. So... It kept me, it was the only thing that kept me from losing my my cool completely. Uh, It was, it was a notable memory for me for many years. And uh, I went back and I never sat next to that guy again. I made a a point never to sit next to him. In every yoga class I've ever taken, I've ended up being notorious for falling asleep the instant the relaxation period started (laughs) and having to be like prodded awake at the end. (laughs) Nice. All right. Uh, so, folks, uh, tonight we are talking about uh, season two, episode eighteen, confessions and lamentations. This should be a light and that fun episode, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the only episode we're talking about today uh, because, well, it's a bit of a whammy. It's a doozy, and we've got a lot to say. Yeah. All right. Who's doing the summer for this? That would be me. All right, Anna, take us away, please. So, Confessions and Lamentations, um, Season 2, Episode 18, was written by JMS and directed by Kevin Kremen. So, we start off with Zeta Wing being sent to investigate a missing Markab ship. They head off to find the ship and determine the problem, and Ivanova orders Kefford to curb his extracurricular hyperspace exploration. Back at the station, Franklin is examining a deceased Markab alongside the Markab doctor, Lazarin. 
This is apparently the fourth Marcab in three days to die of natural causes, and Franklin's suspicious. Against Lazarin's objections, he plans to do a full autopsy. Meanwhile, Sheridan is expanding his cultural horizons after being invited to dinner by Delenn and Lanier. Our poor hungry boy learns that there are customs and rituals that follow the meal, uh, and... He, he follows along, despite absolutely wanting to just eat already. The meal's interrupted, however, by bad news from Zeta Wing. They found the Markab ship, and everyone on it is dead. The ship of dead Markabs confirms what Franklin suspected, and he confronts Dr. Lazarin. The Markab died of some sort of plague, which Lazarin informs uh, the crew and Franklin is 100% contagious and 100% fatal. Lazarin kept this information secret on orders from his government, which considers the plague to be a punishment for immorality. The first documented cases uh, far in the past were on an island known for hedonistic behavior. And since the island was isolated and the disease didn't spread to the general population, it became wrapped in myth and wasn't and still isn't considered a threat to anyone who is sufficiently moral. Unfortunately, this attitude means that since the plague resurfaced, it's been spread to every Markab colony, as well as B5. The command staff meet and plan their response. Franklin and his team plan to work on researching the disease and finding a cure, fingers crossed, and are concerned about the disease jumping to other species. The station obviously also must be put under quarantine. There is some discussion of isolating the Markab population, but Franklin warns against this. It'll only cause the disease to spread faster, and the air on the station is recycled anyway, so if the disease is airborne, it's already been spread throughout the station. With the station quarantined, panic and violence strike. The Markab are outraged at being accused of immorality by the station staff and choose to self-isolate from the rest of the population. Meanwhile, Franklin confirms that the disease is airborne, and a dead Pachmara turns up, um, indicating that it may have jumped species already. Lazarin offers to perform the autopsy on the Pachmara and to stay in the isolab so that Franklin can monitor him, as he's almost certainly already infected. Uh, and Franklin needs data on the early stages of the disease if he hopes to develop a treatment. Delenn visits Sheridan and asks that he let her and Lanier into the isolation zone to care for the sick and dying Markab. He hesitates since it'll mean massive contamination. Delenn and Lanier would be put at risk and Sheridan won't be able to let them back out. However, she argues that it's important to give comfort now since um, they might be the ones who need it soon. Sheridan agrees and asks that when he sees her again, she call him John rather than Captain. Franklin is making no progress, uh, and we see him have a chat with Lazarin. Franklin is frustrated about plagues throughout history, uh, and that, that people are responding to this in the same way that they responded to AIDS or the Black Death. Lazarin jokes that it seems that the, the strategy that makes the least sense seems to be the most popular, uh, then falters as the first stages of the plague hit him. Franklin starts to run tests and monitor Lazarin. The two doctors continue to reminisce while they work until Franklin's team delivers more bad news. They have confirmation that the plague has jumped to the Pachmara. Meanwhile, in the isolation zone, Delenn and Lanier are helping where they can. 
Delenn comforts a small child who has become separated from her mother. Delenn tells a story from her own childhood about when she was separating from her parents and waited hours in a temple to be found. As she finishes the story, Lanier returns with the child's mother. The child rushes over, and her balance falters. Franklin has continued to find nothing, but starts a cross-reference between Markab yellow cells and Pakmura green cells. Lazarin speaks up, indicating that the, the yellow cells might be important, but dies before he can finish his sentence. Franklin goes into a rage and destroys a cart of medical equipment, but chills out when the computer reveals that it has found a match. We cut to him explaining the situation to Sheridan. He's figured out how the plague works and that it only affects races with specialized cells used to manufacture chemicals used for neural relays. Humans aren't in danger, at least yet, and Franklin can't destroy the disease, but he has developed a treatment to stimulate cell production and buy anyone infected time for the immune system to actually respond. He's prepared 500 doses, and he, Sheridan, and Ivanova rush to the isolation zone, only to find that all of the Markhabs are dead. Lanier confirms this, and Delenn collapses against Sheridan, sobbing and calling him John. Aiza News then reports that the entire planetary population of the Markhab has been wiped out by the plague. Submarkhabs on isolated colonies may be still alive, but the species has been effectively annihilated. As Franklin listens to the news report at a bar counter, the bartender makes jokes about the situation and then turns off the news, spouting conspiracy theories. Franklin just walks away and mutters to himself, nothing changes. And that's the episode. Real chipper, an upper. It's such a good episode, though. Yeah, um, I mean, just going, like, first impressions of the... So, um, I think everybody here is familiar with my process. The first time I watched this episode um, was when I was on vacation back in October. I was in the middle of nowhere. I just was going through a couple episodes, so an episode before this was, uh... Did we remember to give you a content warning for this one? No. Um, I'm sorry. So you went into this blind? Yeah, so uh, the episode before this was Knives, so just autoplay kept happening. So I was at my grandmother's house, and I was, like, on a couch there, like, with my laptop in front of me, watching as many episodes before I just passed out. This episode starts, and by about the 15-minute warning, I pause it, go into the kitchen, find the bottle, the like, the one bottle of alcohol that my grandmother has in that house, which is a bottle of whiskey she uses for cooking, poured myself a stiff drink, and trucked through this episode. Yep. My, my live tweet thread had a couple people saying, oh, oh no. I believe I was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I trucked through it, but whew, that is, uh, it's a lot. Um, and it's it's an episode where in previous viewings through the series, I watched this episode and thought to myself, wow, this seems like a kind of out there response to a pandemic. I could anything happen that would be as stupid as this i remember and now i know better i remember thinking that exact same thing i was talking about this episode yesterday and i said the i remember the first time i saw this episode and i thought 
this is a silly episode. It's well acted, but it's a silly episode because nobody's dumb enough to treat a disease that obviously exists like it's not a really, like it's not a big deal. Like who would look at something, a deadly plague and be like, eh, it's not a big deal. We're just going to go ignore that it exists and lock ourselves up with it. Oh, people, that's who. That that That's who does that. People, fucking stupid people, that's who. Uh, yeah. Now I watch this episode and it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's one of yeah. those episodes that's horrifyingly prescient. Yeah. yeah. God damn, JMS. Like, fuck, man. JMS mentioned that he did a rather large bit of consultation with um, uh, epidemiologist for this episode. I would believe that the that's that feels correct based on the science that I know. It's it's a fairly plausible scientific premise for the disease. Um, yeah, and Agreed. the both the disease and the response are in line with what I would at least the response from the scientists are in line with what I would expect. Yeah, um, and like they they have like all sci-fi shows have like scientific advisors who go on there and basically like they they worked out a thing for specifically like why the pokemon would be infected and like and how the disease would operate and stuff um and i'm in month 12 of staying at home now um personally but uh the the scene where franklin is briefing the rest of the staff on how they're dealing with this is Unlike in our current situation where a lot of things have been exacerbated by political manipulation and covering things up, the response of B5 is actually like pretty sound relatively, but it just turns out that the Marcab have like, they lean into, well, stuff like, oh, we're just going to lock ourselves up in here because we refuse to study the disease and we're pure. We're good. We're good. The one thing that I could fault them on is there's the thing where they, they pull out all the Marcab for medical tests. And I'm I'm always concerned on a rewatch that they ended up spreading it faster by doing that. Honestly, the, the fact that the thing that feels most unreal now watching it is that the entire staff like that like the entire staff was like reasonable like it's hard for me now in 2021 to like wrap to to believably watch a government handle a a a pandemic like sensibly is even garibaldi is on board with being a reasonable human yeah well and yeah if I can in- indulge in a bit very briefly, <laughs> even fucking Franklin behaves like a like like a reasonable scientist. He doesn't hit on anyone. He doesn't do any dubious medical ethics here. More or less. Well, let's um, talk about that. Other than we'll talk about that locking later. up one of his colleagues to study him while he dies. But, you know, needs must. But like... The fact that Franklin, I have nothing substantially objectionable, like, I have no substantial objections to Franklin's behavior in this episode, which I kind of hate. I think this, I think there is something interesting about Franklin in this episode, is that I think this is maybe the best we're 
like this is the best we've seen Franklin like written. Yeah. Because it's still like it's still Franklin. Like this is possibly even him exaggerated to his most Franklin-y, where he is like the most fucking bullheaded. Yeah. But it's like all I mean, but it's all of that energy is directed into being a leader and a healer. And it's a really interesting, like it's a really good portrayal by the actor. And yeah. um and he's just given good stuff to work with. And there are some moments for Franklin where there, there are moments that like are rough but feel very real. Like when he there's a couple of points where he absolutely lays into his staff. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the and the scene where he Lazarin dies and he just like beats the shit out of an innocent tray of like scalpels. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he destroys some of the some of those good science speakers. Yeah. Thankfully they're not the goo-filled ones from the science store cuz those man those are collectors <laughs> items now. Yeah, no, and they've established that that he he's kind of an asshole and will absolutely take his his frustration out on subordinates. Uh and that he he will lash out at inanimate objects when he's frustrated. Like They've established that about him in the past. So I don't love that I'm respecting Franklin a little bit as a doctor, but I do like that we got a really stellar performance from the actor in this episode. I just wish they'd had him like, I don't know, hit on someone in a really creepy manner. That would have been more, I feel like that would have really like worked for me. Um, I mean, on the flip side, I... Um, I wish that we'd gotten more writing like this for Franklin. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, more seriously, that, that... not on my dumb <laughs> bit. Yes, this is the Franklin that we should have. We should have in all the episodes, rather than him being a dumb creeper. This is the Franklin, a you know, bullheaded, intelligent problem solver. This is who we should be should have seen in all those episodes. I think it's a trope that we don't see in a lot of like areas. We don't see it like with a lot of doctors in like sci-fi. I, I mean, it, it's probably I mean beyond like Bones. I think, like I think that's yeah. Or like Doctor McCoy is probably like the closest to this. But like a lot of them are like more often than not because it's also it's a role that gets tend to be casted to women the the soft compassionate healer but i mean franklin just gets to franklin like franklin would probably have a drink with and kill dr cox from scrubs (laughs) 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 like those are those are two characters i think like vibe it'd be Um, interesting to see franklin with bashir oh dude are you kidding franklin wow i'm trying to imagine I feel like Franklin would be done with Bashir like before the drink was halfway done. I feel like he would have no patience for Bashir's good good nature. But at the at the same time they have the same kind of egotism streak to them. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like Yeah. Anyway, we can stop talking about Franklin now. I'm done with him and I don't want to talk about him more than absolutely necessary. I do want to talk at some point about 
uh, Delenn's vision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, let's jump into that. Let's jump into let's, that. Let's talk because... about Delenn, because this is a really big Delenn episode. Uh, yeah. I, we should also mention that we're recording, this is the one of the first episodes we've recorded since Mira Furland passed. When we uh, heard her passing, we decided to make this episode specifically sort of like a little tribute to her, because this is, this is a very Delenn-centric episode, and this is also one that like... It very much shows off the best parts of what she brought to the show her humanity and her range and yeah just she she embodies the role of delenn so beautifully and and this episode is a great example of all of that yeah there's there's the scene where she tells john that um she's going into the isolation zone um that she's gotten this approved she says that you know i'm doing this because like for minbari we think that when people are in pain they should be comforted and Sheridan, I think this might be a little, this, it feels like, I don't think this is an out of character line for John, but I think it's a knee jerk reaction for him because he wants to keep Delenn safe. He says, but they're not even your people. And Delenn's reply, and it's a little snappy, but I think yeah. it needs to be to like get him out of that to make him realize that he's like, no, you're being a bit of an, you're being a bit of an overprotective ass about this. Um, she says, I did not know that similarity was required for the exercise of compassion. It's such a good line. It's such a good line. It's such a good line. It's Delenn like top line. 10. It's like top 10 Delenn lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which there are... That's a big list, so... Yeah. Between between that line, or th- there's a scene in this episode where a Marcab is jumped by a couple of humans... I can't help but think about how, like, between those two, how, especially in the current pandemic, there has been the uh, vilification and scapegoating of specifically, like, East Asian people mm-hmm. uh, with regards to COVID-19. And, that, and like, that just, there, that's there that been on the news recently with a couple of instances here in the Bay Area. Yeah. And that yeah. jumped out to me yeah. as like two things that were very poignant. Yeah. The part that always stands out to me in this episode is John's panic on opening the isolation zone when he sees that everyone is dead and he starts looking for Delenn. Yeah. That's some really good acting from him. Yeah. And you see Lanier is the the, the overt trauma on Lanier's face. Um, when he finds Lanier, and then Delenn is just stricken. She's just in tears, and she just throws herself at him. That whole scene is fucking rough. Now, I'm reasonably certain that there are many people that work in our healthcare industry now that will never watch this episode again. Yeah. Because I imagine that scene's way too fucking real. I, I wanted to talk about the child vision as well, uh, her her childhood vision. But yeah. Yeah, that that whole scene is just like, it's just real well done. I mean, it's it's real well done. And in in more lightweight pieces of this, we also have the really delightful scene where John comes to dinner. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god, poor he's somebody who worked on this episode. Whether it be the writer, the director, or, or like one of the people who did like script treatment of this the director somebody has been dating somebody who is not of their culture and been absolutely scathed by their family at dinner yeah no absolutely (laughs) this 
This is absolutely a lived experience being translated into the Minbari, uh, into a Minbari experience because it's cringingly real. Because he's trying so hard, but he doesn't understand. A, and also he wants to eat his dinner. He's such a big doof. Like, that's one of the things that, like, is really good about the two of them is, like, Delenn really appreciates the humanity of John. So she finds, like, his dumbassery kind of endearing. But then you have Lanier, who is just like, why... Why are you in Valen's name? This, why is this happening to me? And poor Lanier is just like, yeah, he he could not be more more put upon in this in this scene. Oh, uh, and like you can tell that Lanier's like it wasn't my fucking idea to prepare the special ritual meal. God damn it! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd have just made him a peanut butter and flarnberry sandwich, like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! There's also the um. There's also when Delenn is like, "Haha! If you if we go against the ritual, then Lanier will have to prepare it again." Haha! And Lanier is just like, "I twitch." Yeah, I will cut someone. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't slept for two days. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. Um, and there's some good Minbari religious shenanigans in this episode. There's you get a lot of like little hints from the meal. You get some really good, like, little stuff about their little, little little tiny breadcrumbs about their religious practices in the meal, about how they leave a spot for Valen and so on and so forth. And then you get it from Delenn's vision as well. What, what drew yeah. her to the religious cast. Um, I don't think I had realized in my early watch-throughs of this show that caste was not hereditary. Yeah, that's interesting. That caste was uh, something that you chose, that you could... I, I, my sense of it is is that you, you were born into a caste, but you could cho- freely choose which caste you went into. So, for example, like, um, Duc- whatever his name was, her mentor... Ducat? Ducat, yeah. Ducat was... A, but not Gul Dukat. Not Gul Dukat, just Dukat. Dukat was a warrior caste who joined the religious caste. I wonder if Delenn's parents were a religious caste. I don't get the sense that they were. I actually, I actually wonder if they were worker caste. I was just, I was just gonna say the same thing. We're we're, we're vibing tonight. Same same samezies here. But yeah, I, it's interesting that uh, I, I just hadn't thought about that. But I, I mean, you just sort of assume these things. But I, I had not thought about it. So, do we want to talk? Do we want to actually talk about that vision? Yeah, let's talk about. Oh the yeah. So I guess I could I can describe that vision. I didn't want to put a full description of it into the kind of mm-hmm. synopsis there because I felt like it would derail it a bit. Yeah. So the vision is that Delen Delen was separated from her parents and was wandering the streets of the city lost and came across an old temple and decided to wait there, that it was a safe place to wait. And she waited for hours and fell asleep and woke up to, it was a a tall figure backed in light, yeah, uh, standing over her, saying that no harm would come to her in the temple. And then at that moment, 
her father appeared to, you know, find her and take her home. Yeah, which was, which she interpreted as being Valen, apparently. Which, uh, just in headphones. Activate Gold Channel 1. Justin's got to know at this point, anytime we say Valen. That's a wild, that's a wild little bit there, there, isn't it? I, I mean, it was a Vorlon, right? Like, that was how I always read this scene. Was that it was a Vorlon that she saw. A tall tall figure made of light? Yeah. I interpreted that as a Vorlon, like, coming down and, like, giving her, like, a little, just kind of a a nudge, a little poke, just to sort of see what she was up to, because she has a destiny kind of a thing. It's wild to think that it could be that it could be in some way Valen, though. Yeah, I don't, you, which I, I, isn't outside the realm of possibility in my mind. No, not at all. Who the fuck knows what's going on? Yeah. I feel like Justin's getting real, real suspicious. It won't be long now. I mean, all I all I know is whenever Minbari shit comes up, I've got to put on the headphones. <laughs> but like, I, I I may be a dummy, but I know the pattern. You. <laughs> You're actually just a couple of episodes away. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, fuck. because it, all you have to do is get to war without end, and then we can and then we can talk to you about this thing. We need to have a special episode that's talking about this thing. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, so just watch some, watch some damn episodes, my friend. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, her parents were a members of the tenth fane of Elea, a religious clan. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So the the other Delenn line in here that really stands out and and really like I, I teared up at this with you know rewatching it after Mira Furlan's death is the the line that begins with all life is transitory. All life is transitory. A dream. We all come together in the same place at the end of time. If I don't see you again here. We'll see you in a little while in the place where no shadows fall. Where she tells John that uh, she'll see him again in the place where no shadows fall. And immediately he counters with, you know, when I see you again, call me John. And that that line is just so good and was absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Speaking of shadows. Speaking of shadows. The time frame of the first propagation of this disease uh-huh. a thousand years. is like what a thousand years ago. Uh huh. There's a lot of stuff that happened exi- that happened, you know, ballpark a thousand years you don't, ago. You mean you think it's weird that a thousand years ago a 100 percent deadly and 100 percent transmissible plague showed up? I would also like to note that the Markab also had lore about. An ancient enemy that camped out on their planet, not unlike the Narn. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, cross. Let's. I've got the cross reference in here. Um, in answer to your question, in the outline, is Drafa a piece of shadow tech? I don't have a definitive answer for you, but if you want my opinion, fuck yeah, it is. Yeah. And then it crops up again right when the shadows come back around. Like yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah so the the Markabs. It was back in the long dark. When Jakar, that was the that was the one where we had um, Reg Barkley. Okay. 
and Jakar, I think it was, was talking to the council about, like, bad shit from the past. And the Markabs had similar legends to the Narn. So I do, there, there's an interesting line that the Markab, I, it's, I think it's the ambassador, says, which he says that if we are pure of heart, if we believe, the dark angel of Drafa will pass us over. Oh, yeah. Um, which which was initially what like got me on this one, because I feel like you could probably just... If you wanted to be very generous, you you might describe a shadow ship as a dark angel. Mm-hmm. But something that also just sort of like reminded me of in possibly the most cruel and twisted way possible was Passover. The ritual meal with Sheridan and Delenn and Lanier is also not unlike a Passover Seder. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, just like those two things together are... It's a very, it's a very inter- interesting tie together. Yeah. Interesting note uh, from the production notes: the Markab they had a lot of Markab costumes. Yeah, the, it was like yeah. their, it was like their second most, it was their second most like common alien apart from the like the Drazi. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah. all right, and that was and that, that was on purpose. Yeah, they wanted it to be impactful. That if it was like you know random alien number five. Um, but it's it's a race that's had speaking roles before. Mm-hmm. And I think there there's a thing in Lurkers on, you know, whether it would be different if it, if they'd picked the Drazi instead of the Markabs. And I think so. Because we all hate the fucking Drazi. <laughs> <laughs> the Drazi, they certainly have religious, spiritual traditions, but the... But those of the Markavs have been focused on more. Yeah. The extent to which the Markav have been wiped out here is something of a bit of an anomaly of just like, like they mentioned at the end of the episode that like there, isol- there might be isolated colonies or, you know, there's got there's to be like ships moving around or something. But just like completely one, nearly like for all intents and purposes, exterminating a race they're extinct yeah like under our like environmental guidelines they are an extinct race for all intents and purposes yeah is something that's really chilling yeah it is that's honestly why i lean towards the whole is this shadow tech question being a yes like yeah it's too many coincidences that you have something that effective that transmissible and then Mm -hmm. the timing and so that's why I say yes. Yeah. I'm glad that it's like, it's never addressed on screen. I think there's value to be found in sometimes leaving stuff ambiguous. Like that's just something that viewers can speculate on. It's in a JMS Speaks episode. I want to say for, I don't, I don't remember where, which episode this is for, but in one of the JMS Speaks I did for looking up an episode, he talks about like that this isn't, that this isn't at the heart of it. It isn't a mystery show. It's not about like keeping viewers stumped. It's about you know it's about getting us from A to B here. And I think if you want to look into that and you want to say that like, I think there's value to be found from like as a viewer yeah. deciding for yourself whether you think it is. Yeah. I think there's value for like you know not having a creator answer here and being able to put that in how you like. 
and, and analyze that as your as yourself as a viewer. Yeah, agreed. For sure. There's beauty to be found in the unanswered questions. Yeah. I really love the fact that uh, JMS not only did not know that there were Markabs in Scientology, but that he was really uh, <laughs> unex- he was he was not thrilled with that fact. And I like to think that that's why he killed them all. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, no, I, that's what Google's great for these days. Yeah. Just like I'm gonna, use, I'm gonna make a sci-fi term. I'm not like oh. I'm one. I'm not making a word that might be culturally appropriative. And two, have some shitty people used this word before? Yeah. Oh, that means eugenics in Japanese. Let's not use that word. <laughs> I like that. Also in the uh, in the JMS speaks section of Lurker's Guide for this episode, he's one hundred percent that guy on the internet pulling statistics out of his butt. Uh, when talking about the Black Death, because he's just like, three quarters of all the people in uh, Europe died to the Black Death. And there's like a little addendum where like the editor is like, it wasn't three quarters, it was like one fourth. It was like one. Asterisk, three quarters of select communities. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in some places, yeah, 75% of people died because, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, but I think it's funny that he's, there, there was high he's, he's just like whipping numbers out of nowhere. And then there's like yeah. the, the, the drop in to be like, well, let me fact check. Yeah, I know. I thought that was funny. And on the, on the Scientology note, one of the things that was really chilling to me rewatching this is actually the very last scene where we have Franklin watching the news and the like barkeeper spouting conspiracy theories about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That like it was the yeah, Vorlons that did Vorlons. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's not just the, like, xenophobia. It was the 5G waves. That's what did it. <laughs> I mean... That's what that's what gave the Mark Abs the drama, the, the 5G waves. That, yeah, that's exactly the vibe. If we don't have anything to talk about kind of at this moment that either of you have on your mind, I would like to talk a little bit about some of the infectious disease stuff that's actually cool here. Sure. And okay. some stuff that I think would have been... They could have done a bit more if it had been, say, a 60-minute episode of, like, prestige TV. Okay. So I I like the explanation that they have for why it's sp- spread to the Pachmara and not any other race. And I also liked that by it spreading to the Pachmara, that gave them the information that they needed to solve the problem. Yeah, I really like that. The idea of different races having, like, different solutions to, like... This race has this kind of blood, and this race has this kind of blood, and these two races have like a Venn diagram overlap and how blood works, and that that tells you yeah. something. Like I thought that was actually really cool. I remember liking that the first time I, I saw the episode. And it's just the right amount of techno babble. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hits that sweet spot. The thing that would have been really interesting if they had had a little bit more time to do it is that they could have, if they had played around with the ordering of finding out that the disease was airborne and finding out that it had definitively crossed the Pachmara, that would have been fascinating because they could have had a great, great red herring there that the Pachmara ate a dead Markab who was infected. <laughs> Fucking Pachmara. 
that would have been such a good red herring in the episode. Yeah, and it would have been like, let's, you know, let's look at the stomach contents of the Pakmara once again. Yeah. <laughs> this is the seventh time this month I've had my stomach pumped. <laughs> uh... But so so one of the things that's really interesting to me is that we didn't get like we kind of get a miraculous cure here, but it's not like the miraculous cure that we often see in sci-fi. It's a treatment, not a yeah. cure. Right. That Franklin develops a treatment that's essentially like gives people a fighting chance so that their immune system can actually kick in and launch a response. Yeah. But this means that it's not a cure that wipes out the disease. Like, presumably the Pachmara are still living with this, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't see how they could have eradicated it from the station without spacing all the air. That was one thing that I actually found somewhat specious about this. How is it possible that Babylon 5 does not have, like, aggressive scrubbers on their air system? So I'm sure it does, but the air scrubbers don't necessarily pick up everything. The difference between, like, picking up dust motes and picking up, like, single-celled organisms. But you can run air through a, um, I know this because it was an option on my fucking air conditioner. So you can, you can run it through an ultraviolet-type array and blast almost everything. And that's but who knows but who knows whether this this specific drafa thing would actually be yeah that that um they 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 may that's you know of course we never hear about this disease again other than that the markabs were wiped out. Yeah. I guess I'm just skeptical that they didn't have the ability that it wouldn't be so a they, necessary they have... part of like living in a multi species environment that you don't have, like, really, really good air scrubbers for this exact reason. We can go through to Justin's fanfiction corner of, um, I've had to, you know, I mean, it could be that it's like, oh, hey, since they were able to identify the disease and they figured out, oh, hey, maybe it's something that doesn't get caught by regular scrubbers, or maybe it's, like, UV resistant or something, and... It's also, there's also the possibility that the... Air scrubbers can remove some, but not all. Yeah, and have the and have the thing of like that everything is potentially contaminated. Yeah, everybody is potentially infected and will eventually be if infected. But the thing of then then cramming all of the markabs into a small space is a bad idea because that would allow it to spread much more quickly then it would be kind of gradually spread um, through the air scrubbers. But it's, it's plausible that the air scrubbers are not able to handle whatever this is, at least yet. Yeah. Maybe they develop a way to actually sanitize the station. But it's certainly something that, at least theoretically, the Pachmara have to deal with in perpetuity. Yeah, I, I mean, it might be something that it's like, that once they're able to identify it, it's like, okay, now that we're able to treat this, like they're they're able to do the treatment, we can burn the virus out, and it like it will die, it will like it will run its cycle, yeah. maybe, and who knows? Like the fact is that we never hear it again. The puck or the puck are still around, so yeah, and, like it might be that like maybe it's not maybe it's not entirely contagious with the puck yeah. 
that's where I think that the 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 Pakrabi and Carrion Eaters would have been a great red herring because they may well have also a much more robust immune system based on what they eat. Yeah, I mean, like they they would have to, I think. I mean, maybe maybe it's maybe it's a maybe it's a Pakmar with pre pre existing condition. <laughs> On that note, I don't know how you're going to top the. It's a Pakmar with pre existing conditions. That's the name of my new metal band, Pakmar with pre existing conditions. I can see. I know exactly when you're going to go tweet something I just said because you ha- you get a look in your eye like. I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. Do it. Do it. I, I was actually just pulling up the IMDb page because uh, I, I we actually have a dude who's like, "Hey, I know that face." But also tweet that. So Jim Norton, who played Doctor Lazarin, we've seen on the show before. Uh, he played Ombudsman uh, Ombuds Wellington back in Grail, and Quality of Mercy. And I think he returns as the Ombuds. In the future, possibly. He's he's got a season three appearance, but it is uncredited, and um, it is as Jaquan. So it's an episode that I'm going to get to probably this weekend. So interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Interesting, interesting. Big character actor, dude. The 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 main thing that I like that I'm going to just like talk about here is that in two episodes, Stark Trek Next Generation, he played Albert Einstein. <laughs> oh, beautiful. That's good. This episode this episode also has one of my favorite kind of incidental Ivanova lines. She's, you know, giving Kefir the order to like stop hunting in cyber in hyperspace for Shadow Vessel. And Kefir's like, but mom, um, there's something out there. And Ivanova's like, Yes, there's something out there. There's something in here. The something in here is me giving you a direct order which is scarier yeah ivanova the answer is always ivanova you could you could either stop this or you could spend four months watching zeta wing going on missions with me and you're and you would be grounded that time (laughs) just like I, i do not use this phrase lightly but it is the epitome of mark me down as scared and horny I mean, it's a doozy of an episode, but it's such a good one. There's so many, so many good pieces to it. And we're really getting into a bit here with just some big sledgehammer episodes. Yep. I mean, from here, we have uh, four more episodes of season two, and really each of them has some big shit in yep. there. There's what we're going to be covering next time, then we're... Then we get into this big triptych of ending episodes between the end of the Centauri Narn War, the progression of the sh- of the war between the shadows and our conspiracy of light, the Inquisitor. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, the Inquisitor, and then we get the season finale. Yeah, do you want to tease our special guest for next episode? Yeah. So um, now that we wrap this up, so next time we're going to be covering only one episode like this one, but this is for a different reason. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, Season 2, Episode 19, Divided Loyalties. And as such, because this is an episode that is a pretty big one in regards to Ivanova and features a lot of discussion of queer content, we're going to be having on a guest star, uh, Adira Slattery, who uh, is a good friend of mine and will be a fantastic listen. Until next time, y'all. Be seeing you. 
The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.